Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, November 2nd, we're studying Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 31. In today's text, the author of Hebrews continues his list of examples of Old Testament saints who lived by faith. In this section, we will consider the exodus and the entry into the promised land. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Philip Hoppe. Pastor Hoppe serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Colby, Kansas. Pastor Hoppe, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Glad to be with you again today. So we get started today. Pastor Hoppe, talk to us about this book, anything we should know about Hebrews, and especially the context leading up to our section of chapter 11 today. Yeah, well, I think overall, you know, when we're talking about the book of Hebrews, we're always remembering that this book is sort of uh, on a whole to remind us of Christ's superiority over all other things, and particularly uh, in relationship to the Old Covenant and the ways there. Uh, In the particular section we're in now, in Hebrews 11, uh, we sort of get this a little bit indirectly, I suppose, in the sense that we keep being told Uh, You know, it seems like this is all about these individuals who are acting by faith, and I don't think we want to overlook that. Uh, But at the same time, we do want to say that obviously their faith uh, is in Christ, right? And that's what ultimately brings about um, kind of these um, salvific ends that we'll hear about today. Uh, But, you know, we will get, uh, you know, kind of later on in our reading, uh, just the talk of Moses Uh, bearing the reproach of Christ, which, uh, you know, we kind of read and maybe go, okay, yeah, we're used to talk about Jesus, but it sort of brings it together for us of what we'll sort of be talking about in this whole section is that uh, there really is this overwhelming idea that these people of faith, of course, have as their object, not just God, though God, right, but ultimately Christ himself, uh, the Messiah whom they awaited. Yeah, and I think that's really important, especially with the the whole goal of the letter of Hebrews, to, to see how Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, especially in this chapter, to, to keep that in mind, that we're not just talking about faith in general, but faith specifically in Christ, who is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So to see how even these saints in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the promised Savior, now he's come, so don't, Hebrews, don't forsake the one that they were waiting for. He's here for you. Don't don't go back to the the shadow. Keep holding on to that that substance. So I really that keeping that in mind really helps this chapter I think to fit more carefully into the the context of the letter as a whole and not not just taking it out of its context, which I think of all the places in Hebrews this is one of those places we're prone to do that. Yeah, it's almost a chapter that's sort of set up to be like, you know, an X amount of week Bible study, right, right. on the great characters of faith. And uh, and again, I don't, I don't, you know, sometimes maybe we go too strongly against that idea, because I do think, you know, these people are being put forward as 
uh, examples for us, but examples of what, right? Of of faith in Christ uh, and trust in God's uh, saving work. And so, um, you know, that and that leads to all sorts of other actions, but that's where it begins. And so uh, it's not wrong to say that we should emulate these people, but let us not forget that they're not uh, the center attraction, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, and I, that, that's important, I, I think, because this this chapter, in that sense, is one of those chapters that really helps us not only read the particular examples that are listed in this chapter, but to, to think through the Old Testament as a whole, because you see how, how the writer of Hebrews centers these these particular examples on faith in Christ. That then helps us as a lens when we look at any place in the Old Testament as the lens in which we would rightly read the Old Testament as centered on this faith in Christ rather than any other number of ways of, of reading it. Yeah, and we, you know, we obviously don't want to ever just, um, you know, ignore the history of what actually happened and the importance to the people that lived in those days, uh, but it particularly coming from where we are, and again, like you said, this book is one of the most, most helpful in this regards, uh, we also don't want to disconnect what happened from the overall story of salvation uh, that Christ would bring. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at the verses that we've got for today. We are in Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies." That's our text for today. That's Hebrews 11, verses 23 to 31. So Moses is the main character in this section of the chapter, and it starts with his birth. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden away for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Give us any Old Testament background from the book of Exodus that we need. Help us into to this part of Moses' life and the example of faith there. Well, yeah, I think this is probably, you know, a very um, familiar story that's being referenced here of, uh, you know, these, um, the time of, of the Exodus, the time of the Pharaoh, uh, ultimately, you know, later in Moses's life, uh, we have the, the plagues, and then as we'll go on to talk about the Exodus in that uh, regard, but we, we start off here where uh, we're reminded that there was an edict that uh, all the uh, Israelite boys uh, should be killed. And uh, to me, it's kind of interesting here, at least stuck out to me as I was looking at this uh, in preparation, is this idea that the, his parents then, they hide Moses, 
But we're told, right, they did it by faith and they did it because they were not afraid of the king's edict. And it seemed almost at first when I read it, it's like, well, they hid him, right? Like that to us, if we hid something, we would think, well, that's an act of sort of cowardice. But the truth is, right, if they really feared the king, they would have simply done what he said to do, which was uh, to allow their baby boy to be killed. Um, and so this act of hiding uh, is actually an act of faith. And it's actually, um, you know, a way that they showed that they were not afraid of the king's edict. And, you know, to maybe take that sort of full circle, the truth is, and I think we have to remember this in all these activities of this time, is um, you're you're risking the Pharaoh coming after you, right? So, I mean, yes, it's terrible uh, that the Pharaoh wants all the boys killed. But if you uh, say, no, I'm not going to kill my son, I would think at least the likelihood is if the Pharaoh gets wind of that, your son and you are dead, right? So, uh, So that kind of shows why this is an act of faith. Uh, is both that they, you know, they understand, um, you know, we, we don't know exactly all this. Of course, we're told Moses was a, a beautiful baby, right? Uh, there, there was something sort of naturally beautiful about him, it seems. But at the same time, they seem to have this understanding, right, that God uh, is going to do something with Moses. And, uh, you know, just a basic command not to kill, I'm sure, was, you know, um, on their mind. But kind of all of this, and we don't know all of that, what went into their minds, but but it is an act of faith, we're told, that they did this hiding. And even again, right, later um, when they uh, place him uh, in, into the river, uh, you know, all those things are ultimately ways that they're defying the king because they don't fear him, they fear God instead. And I think to, to add on to that point, that they don't fear the king, which is there in Hebrews 11, that note about seeing that the child was beautiful is perhaps the, the reference then to the fear of God, the proper fear of God. When when Stephen preaches on the birth of Moses in his sermon in Acts 7, uh, let's see, it's in Acts 7, verse 20, it says, at this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. So when when Moses's parents see that he is beautiful, they're seeing Moses as God sees Moses. Rather than as Pharaoh sees Moses, one to be killed, they see Moses as one to be valued, one to be spared. And as, as you said, you know, knowing God's going to do more with Moses later in his life, but I think that just that note about they see as beautiful, that's part of their fear of God, their true faith in him, because they're seeing Moses as God sees him. Right. And isn't that, I mean, ultimately, right, something that's instructive for us, just again, how we think about life, right? Because we can have others or even, you know, God forbid, governments that would might say to us, well, you know, don't consider uh, this life or that life good to bring into this world. And again, like you said, it's not just that we say, no, it's it's my son or my daughter, so I don't want something terrible to happen to them. But ultimately, this is a thing of value to God. And so it's my responsibility uh, to protect uh, these ones that have been, you know, conceived. And then also, of course, once they're brought into the world. Now, to your to your point about that it may seem like a fearful act to hide their child, but it's actually a faithful act. I think this is a, is a very good one. And, and perhaps helps us when we think about what our lives of faith look like. To live by faith doesn't necessarily mean to run 
headlong into danger. To live by faith very well may mean danger for you, and then certainly that comes through in a number of places in this chapter. But here we do see that, that the faithful act involves actually looking to avoid the danger that is there from Pharaoh, to, to the point that, it, again, if, if there is persecution out there for us as Christians, we certainly don't deny the faith to avoid it by any means. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we have to run headlong into it either. And I think maybe there's a bit of instruction there for us in this example, too. Yeah, I think you're right there. You know, I'd written in my notes here, you know, kind of the wise as serpents, innocent as doves kind of thing here as kind of an example of of that where they're, yeah, they're not just being unthinking. And they're certainly not just like, you know, running to the Pharaoh's house and going, look, I'm keeping my baby, right? right. You know, uh, but yet at the same time, they're not uh, unwilling uh, to suffer trouble uh, for keeping their faith. But yeah, you don't have to, to, to try to bring it on. And so, yeah, I mean, in many circumstances, I think um, if you're living in a land of persecution, you're probably actually facing these kind of questions quite regularly, right? And, and it's probably things that you need to discuss uh, in Christian community with pastors, right? To kind of uh, judge one, uh, you know, as you gather together, judge what's an appropriate response and, and what is not. And I guess ultimately one of the things we're trying to decipher there is are we doing this out of faith to God or are we doing it out of fear of the enemy, right? And uh, if we're doing it out of faith to God, then I think it's, you know, um, much more uh, acceptable as we see here if we're doing it solely to avoid uh, pain or punishment or whatever, then, then you know, we have to really rethink that kind of as we'll be, you know, told here about Moses's overall choice when he's uh, grows into an adult, right? That he's going to have a, a choice like that. Yeah, and I think, like you said, this is a place for pastoral conversation, for the conversation of a, an entire Christian church. And I think both at the time when it's happening, and, and we'd probably be wise to have those conversations before it happens to think through how we might respond. And that's where I think seeing examples like this from the Scriptures is helpful to us, to give us a, you know, a, a bit of a head start before that persecution comes to us. How will we respond by faith rather than by fear? Yeah, and, and of course, in the same, you know, timeline here scripturally, we also, I mean, very close timeline here, we have those Hebrew midwives, right, right. who are instructed uh, to to kill the children and, and don't. And again, there's one sense in which there's obviously, um, I think deception is right, the right word, but I almost hate to say it, right? But they're, they're definitely not being quite honest, or they're at least not telling the whole truth. Uh, and yet they're commended, right, for what they did. And so those things are kind of hard, you know, when we get into looking at them. And, and again, even in that case, again, I think it goes back to why did they do this, right? Uh, and, and in that case, it's particularly evident, I think, that they're doing it out of faithfulness uh, to God, right? Not out of uh, fear, because if, if they were just afraid, uh, they would have just followed orders, yeah, so from the beginning of Moses' life, the example of faith comes. It starts with his parents, and Moses then lives by this faith. As the writer of Hebrews continues then, he takes us a little bit farther ahead in the narrative to, to Moses as a grown-up, which is where Exodus 2 goes next as well. So verse 24, 
By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and then in 25, choosing to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Give us more background here. Help us to see what the author is saying. Yeah, so you mentioned before, you know, that part of how we uh, know about this period of Moses's life, we kind of, you know, we have the actual account from Exodus. Uh, we have these verses in Hebrews, and then we have uh, Stephen as he kind of recounts the Old Testament story in Acts uh, 7. And so it's you know interesting here how Stephen phrases this, right, is that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds, right? Just gives this thing to basically say, He's in the best possible position in Egypt, right? Everything is sort of uh, at his disposal. Uh, and, uh, you know, even the, the phrases there like mighty, right, kind of speaks about the, uh, not, it's not just that he had nice things perhaps or good uh, instruction, but he actually, right, had power, had authority within uh, that system because, um, he was essentially, right, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, uh, at least um, brought up in that matter. And and that's where it's kind of interesting here again, how the book of Hebrews uh, words this is that that's what he's sort of trading in, right? And that he refuses uh, th- this, you know, again, we don't know everything that went on in Moses's life, but obviously in, in this case where he sees an Israelite Uh, being mistreated by an Egyptian, all of a sudden that becomes a flashpoint that he has to kind of answer, um, which one of these is my brother, right? Um, So am I the son of Pharaoh's daughter? In which case I should say, you know, the Egyptians have every right to do that. Or am I ultimately, right, the son of the living God, the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in which case I should be concerned about this Israelite being mistreated. Uh, and that's the choice he makes here. Um, you know, Stephen also tells us, interestingly, right, that he he does this and he, he kind of hopes in general that the rest of the Israelites are sort of going to rally to him, right? Say, ah, here comes the salvation of God. Uh, and yet even amongst the the Israelites, right, he doesn't receive that quick <laughs> welcome. Uh, so he really does, you know, uh, really trades a lot. Um, and I know, uh, you know, in churches that have been, that use the three-year lectionary, we've had uh, a lot of stuff from Philippians lately. And, you know, I, I think of Paul here too, talking about all the stuff he counts as loss uh, to have that knowledge of Christ. And I think those are words we could put into Moses's mouth here very easily, that that's what he's saying too. I want to be part of the people of promise, right? That are are waiting for the salvation of God rather than to be part of the, the mighty uh, Egyptian power right now. Um, mm. But yeah, and, and again, just, you know, it also mentions here the fleeting pleasures of sin. I mean, there's there's really all sorts of stuff he's giving up, right? I mean, he's giving up yeah. this position as uh, son of Pharaoh's daughter, which has the power and the authority, right? But he's also just obviously has at his disposal whatever the flesh wants, right? That, that He certainly could have anything there. And so he, he trades all of that. And for what? Well, here Hebrews tells us to be mistreated, 
right? That's that's the trade he's making. And again, you know, when we talked about Paul a second ago, that's really the trade Paul was making too. He knew uh, that there was going to be suffering to come. There was going to be trouble to come. Uh, so it wasn't like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, sometimes you'll get this in world history, right? Where you'll get to a certain point where it's clear that one leader is going to take over for the other leader and people sort of shift their allegiances so that they'll be with the new power so they can still have the fleeting pleasures of sin and, and that authority. Uh, this is much the opposite, right? This is saying, I'm going to go with the side that is being mistreated. Um, that's what I'm choosing over the side that has the easier life. And why ultimately? Because that's who I am. That's who God has made me to be. Right. And and he, he even sees, as it says later, he sees the, the riches, um, that the riches that Christ has, the reward that Christ has, is better than the the reward that Egypt has. So that's that's all very much related. I want to go go back a little bit to to when you were bringing up Stephen's sermon there in Acts chapter seven, the way that he preaches about Moses, and that moment that you mentioned, which is recorded in Exodus chapter two, where Moses you know sees the Egyptian beating his fellow Hebrew, and that's when maybe you know he he push comes to shove, he takes the side of the Hebrew and he actually kills the Egyptian, and the way. And I don't want to. I don't want to derail the conversation. But at the same time, this is one of those places where, oftentimes, you'll you'll hear it said Moses was a murderer, referencing this. Yeah. And the way Stephen preaches it doesn't make it sound like Moses was a murderer doing it out of some kind of personal hatred, but rather doing it as the deliverer, but the deliverer whom the people weren't ready to receive. And so again, without totally derailing the conversation, I'm just curious how you you see that fitting into to this by faith section here. Yeah. Well, I, I think I agree with you there that that's what we're seeing. And I've noticed this. Um, there's a group of uh, videos, I don't know if you've seen, put out by a group called The Bible Project that goes through kind of the Bible verses or the the, the uh, books of the Bible in, in quick uh, matter with these illustrations. And I I love how they do it, and I, I'm amazed by what they can do. But one thing there that I see over and over again is anytime there's an act of violence, they kind of turn it into human um, sin, right? Even when if you go to the text, you see, no, sometimes that human violence is actually part of God's deliverance, right? It is part of him punishing the wicked. Um, and so again, I think you're right that that's another thing we have here. And we don't uh, want to say this. I believe it was actually uh, one of the commentaries I was reading. I think it's uh, a Lutheran commentary by a man named Linsky too. And he said something along the lines of, and I think this was him, so don't quote me on that. But he said something about Moses started off badly in this. And when I read that, I kind of thought, well, I'm not so sure again, right? I mean, uh, and this is where we have to put aside our own reasoning of, well, that's got to be wrong because it's sort of uh, out of the realm of how we would deal with things or I don't, you know, however you want to say that. And really again, chiefly look to the rest of the scriptures and see how they characterize these acts, right? Um, and many times, again, they characterize them as God acting through these individuals uh, to either, well, and usually both, right? Both to punish his the enemies of God and at the same time to save, redeem uh, the people of God. 
Yeah, and that that becomes very explicit in this section of Hebrews 11, when in a few verses we will get to the, the crossing of the Red Sea, in which the author is very clear to say that the people of Israel crossed through on dry land by faith, but the Egyptians, when they tried to do the same, they were drowned. So the matter of judgment to those who do not live by faith certainly comes up in this section, no doubt. And, and when it comes to Moses, in particular, as we've been talking about him, you know, there, there are plenty of moments in the Exodus narrative where you do see Moses not acting in faith. Right. Perhaps the most clear is, is when, you, when he's called at the burning bush, and the Lord says, you need to go back to Egypt, and he says, no, I don't, <laughs> right. for, for yeah. a variety of excuses. It's just that for whatever... It, I, it seems, at least as long as I can remember thinking about these things, it's that event in Exodus 2 that, as, as you said, that's maybe the, the bad start that we tend to think of. But when you look at it in Scripture, especially the way it's interpreted in the New Testament, that doesn't seem to be the bad start. If there is a bad start, it comes later at Sinai when he's 80 years old and doesn't really want to listen to the Lord's call. Right. So we're not trying to say that Moses is somehow sinless by any means. It's just, where do you see those errors, those sins in his life? Maybe it's not in Exodus 2, but more in, in Exodus 3 and 4. Yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right there. And again, I think that serves us well uh, just to think about how we interpret the Bible in general, right? I mean, I mean, there's all sorts of stories where we need to slow down and think, you know, um, you know whether, whether these things were proper or how they should have been handled. But when we have um, a, a direct word from the Lord that speaks about these events, then that has to take first, uh, you know, that has to be the main thing that informs us on how we think about these events. And I think, I think you're right that, yeah, Stephen tells us that uh, he, he really was doing this as, I mean, a very small act, but he saw this as God is going to get his people out of Egypt, right? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and then the way that the writer of Hebrews helps us to understand that too, is that Moses recognizes that in taking that side, he is taking the side that will be mistreated, the side that will not receive the earthly reward, that will not get to continue in the fleeting pleasures of sin, but rather the side that's going to look for the heavenly reward, the the riches that are to come that can't be seen right now, but that God will certainly deliver. So it is it is in fact an, an act of faith going with what God has promised rather than what what sin can offer you right now in a fleeting way. So we'll pick up more of this account with Moses and the way that he lives by faith on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Philip Hoppy this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, November 2nd. We're studying Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 31 with Pastor Philip Hoppe. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Colby, Kansas. Pastor Hoppe, prior to the break, we were talking about Moses and the way that he chooses to be mistreated rather than enjoying all the comforts of being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chooses to be with the people of God. And in verse 26, we kind of talked about this toward the beginning, the author says very particularly that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So how is it that Moses considered it was the reproach of Christ greater wealth? Yeah, it's one of those things, like I said, when you just are reading along, along, you can almost skip over that, right? And then all of a sudden you go back and say, well, right, this is a, a pretty astounding claim, just historically speaking, uh, to say that um, that almost in some sense, I, I think we're being said here that consciously, right, Moses understands that he is choosing the reproach of Christ. Now, we don't want to overstate this to say that Moses understood everything about how the Christ uh, would be revealed in time and history, right? I mean, he certainly has um, words of the Lord that instruct him in this regard, but to know exactly what all that means, I guess in one way, I, I often say, you know, does does this mean that, um, would he say he, he bore the reproach of Jesus? In this context, it's probably better to say the Christ, just because that's a larger term that gets to this idea uh, that is not far removed from saying belief in Jesus, but but maybe it's just a touch removed, but in that it is a belief in the salvation of God, and here's the particular part, the salvation of God that's going to be accomplished by that one seed of Eve, right? So it's not just it's not just that he thinks just in general God's going to save his people, but that he is going to save them through this messianic figure. And that, I don't think we're overplaying at all that that uh, is how Moses uh, thinks of this. And so the blessed thing for us as we read about this then is it draws um, us and Moses very close by faith, right? Because we understand that Moses's God is is our God, right? His Savior is our Savior. Um, and that, again, as we were talking about kind of, uh, if we want to say Moses's motivation or his faith or lack of faith in taking the action against the Egyptian, uh, again, Stephen would lead us to believe that somehow uh, Moses kind of understands that he is doing this as part of this overall plan of God's salvation, which he also understands um, is fully manifested in the Christ, right? Not through his activity, uh, but through that seed that would come. And along with that, then, is he, he's looking at the salvation of Christ, 
And he also understands, though, then that that means bearing the reproach of Christ, right? All of these phrases of Jesus about, you know, uh, in order to be glorified with him, you know, we also suffer with him. And, and Moses has that understanding here, like you said, that the things that are apparent to the eyes, if you're just judging from the senses, so to speak, you're going to choose remaining uh, a son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, and yet by faith, no, he, he believes in those things, right, that are unseen. Uh, he has, has that hope, right, uh, within him that, that is faith. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but he, but it is interesting here to just get, because I think sometimes people want to downplay this, uh, to the point where they're just like, oh, come on. The author of Hebrews here is just sort of throwing Jesus's name in here, uh, you know, just cause that's what he believes, but no, he's actually making a claim about what Moses believed, right. And why, yeah. why he's in the same line as us. Well, and, and just looking at chapter 11 now this is this is the only time that he mentions Christ specifically in this chapter he's you know Moses believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead that God but here you have the specific mention of Christ with Moses and I kind of wonder if that's I mean I would think it's on purpose and perhaps for the reason that just thinking back to chapter 10 and all of the sacrifices how those were incomplete well Moses is the one who wrote all that down and so to to remind particularly this congregation that no Moses trusted in Christ ahead of time, and that was the point of all those sacrifices and the other Old Testament regulations was to point forward to Christ. It, it seems rather important that they know particularly that Moses was willing to bear the reproach of Christ. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And of course, you know, Moses just serves as this overall sort of, um, besides, you know, his actual historical uh, presence among the people of God, he also becomes just a symbol, right, of, of the old covenant in general. And so when you sort of make a claim about Moses, you are making a claim sort of about the the whole thing. Um and I think the other thing we, we never want to forget is New Testament people. And sometimes with my kind of younger uh, people that I'm teaching the faith to, I'll make this point that, you know, if you were kind of an Israelite at the end of the Old Testament period and you were asked, what's the greatest saving act that God ever did, right? Their answer, if they were catechized well, is they would speak of the Exodus, right? Um, and again, hopefully, if we ask our people today that exact same question, they will say, right, it's the death and resurrection of Christ. And biblically, we are told to tie those two events together quite tightly. Uh, and that's kind of what's happening here is that the same saving God uh, that accomplishes these things through Moses to save his people out of one slavery is also the saving God that through the death and resurrection of Christ saves us uh, from a slavery to sin and, and a, a slavery to death. Yeah, and so when, it, when we think about Moses then bearing the reproach of Christ particularly, as you said, that doesn't necessarily mean that Moses would have recognized or understood at the time all the details of the way things would happen in history, but it, I think maybe we could say it like this, and I've heard others put it this way, that it, it does mean that if Moses were to be here today, he would not go to worship on a Saturday at a Jewish synagogue. He would go to worship at a Christian church on a Sunday, because he would recognize that what has happened in Jesus 
is the exodus that he went through now fulfilled as the greatest act of salvation, and that's where he needs to be, is worshiping that one Christ. Yeah, and of course, we kind of get a hint of that, right, in, on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, where, right, uh, Moses is talking to Jesus about Jesus's exodus, right? It's not uh, Jesus saying, tell me about what happened back there, you know, at the Red Sea. Uh, it's it's much the opposite way. And, and that goes along then with the whole theme of this book, again, that, that Christ is this, the fulfillment of all of these things and the one that's supreme over all things. Um, and that's that's certainly what we see here. But I like that uh, way of talking there too. That that you mentioned that, yeah, Moses would would not say or would not even have a a trouble trying to figure out uh, which of those places he would want to be. Right? Uh, he knows that this is what it was always all about. So then we continue with the writer of Hebrews into those main event salvation acts of God in the Old Testament. So Moses continues down verse 27, by faith, leaving Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now with Moses leaving Egypt, we probably need to do a bit of clarification as to what in the Exodus account we're talking about here. Right. And when you're just kind of reading through what, you know, what we just talked about, and our mind is kind of thinking of baby Moses, and then we get this event with uh, the Egyptian and the Hebrew, uh, and, you know, that's kind of all there in our mind. Then when we hear he left Egypt, right, we we kind of think about that we're told that he goes to Midian after that. The, the only problem with that biblically, and I don't know that we can completely rule that out as what's being talked about here, but again, scripturally in Exodus, we're kind of told that the going to Midian does seem to be motivated more by fear than by faith. And so uh, because that's the case, that doesn't seem right. And so what we may need to do is kind of instead of tying verse 27 to the ones before it, is that no, instead 27 is sort of this first line about what is going to come in the in the next verses, that the whole event of the Exodus is him leaving Egypt. And so he kind of says this uh, first and foremost uh, there. The, the only other thing I guess there is, you know, I guess if we take it that way, uh, you know, do we switch which king in one way uh, we're talking about here a little bit? I don't know. Uh, but but overall, you know, he he um, I, I tend to think it speaks more to the idea of him uh, leaving uh, Egypt behind in the sense of going towards the promised land and that it's sort of a general statement about that. Yeah, I, I don't think verse 27 is, is meant as the, sort of a one-time event, the actual leaving of Egypt as, you know, on the one day they walked out, but rather as that that process by which Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. And that, that note of not being afraid of the anger of the king, I think, fits in nicely with the way that that happens. But in Exodus 5 through 11 or so, where over and over again, Moses goes before Pharaoh and says, hey, we're leaving, let let Israel go. And Pharaoh says, no, you're not, and and threatens Moses on a number of occasions. Moses is unafraid of that anger, but rather instead sees sees God, who is invisible, rather than seeing Pharaoh, who's right there in front of him. Yeah, no, I think I think you're exactly right. And again, you know, just as we read 
these words about, you know, seeing him who is invisible, right? What a, what a play on words there, right? Uh, how do you see one who's invisible? Well, only by faith. And again, so also for us, right? It's not that when we take activities of faith, that they're sort of well-reasoned out always thoughts about, well, I should do this because this will happen and God will do this. A lot of times it's solely to say, this is what God has told me to do, and I'm going to now walk by faith in that, and he'll figure it out, right? I mean, and and again, I, I think there's probably, we can say some of that again when we just think about um, the, the level of Moses's understanding of the Messiah um, is that, no, he does not say, well, I'm going to figure out exactly how God is going to manifest this, but I know that he's promised to do that. And so I hold to that so tightly, even though, no, I couldn't tell you exactly how that's all going to play out. I believe it all the same because I'm used to, by faith, seeing invisible things. Yeah, that's right. So so verse 27 then takes us through, again, about Exodus 11. We get to Exodus 12 and the Passover in verse 28. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Talk to us about this act of faith. Yeah, so, I mean, again, we kind of think about this, you know, we're so used, to, if we're familiar with this story, we're sort of uh, so used to this story of putting uh, the 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 blood of the lamb on the doorposts, uh, and God uh, then, right, uh, sparing them from that, uh, as I said here, right, from the destroyer of the firstborn, as it's uh, put here in Hebrews. Uh, we're familiar with that story, but I think maybe sometimes we almost overplay that maybe that the Israelites thought of this as very normal. And And again, we can say that, you know, uh, even before this, um, they're going to have some idea of blood uh, uh, being used for salvation. So it's not completely um, unknown to them. But we might say that it's very much like we might say in baptism that we're going to use water. And we would have some understanding that water brings cleansing. And yet at the same time, we got to admit that it's a mysterious thing that God is going to cleanse us of our sins. And so also here, that in the most direct way possible, that this blood of the lamb is going to save them from death. And not just um, eternal death, though I think obviously that's where we end up thinking about this, but literally saving them from this event that's destroyer, that's taking out uh, the firstborn uh, there in Egypt. And so, but I think it is a, it's a helpful thing, a story for us to remember again, that when we think about how God works in the sacraments, this is not a new thing for him to take something that's an element that has some sense of like we can understand again that water cleanses or we can understand that bread and wine feed, that they feed life. And yet he takes something like that and does something that quite frankly confounds the world, right? That if they're watching it, they go, there's no way that's going to work. And I would even think, now again, I admit I'm speculating here, but do you think the Egyptians, right, if they're seeing the Israelites putting this blood on their right. doorpost, do they really think, oh yeah, but that's going to save them, right? That's what God told them to do, so it's likely to save them. I think they thought, what are they doing, right? What's the point of this? And again, they may not have even understood why they were doing it, um, 
But there's a there's a point of that with the sacraments for us, right? That if you just walk walk in and see us pouring water over a baby's head, and uh, some of us who like to do that quite liberally, um, you know, you people just look and go, "What is going on there?" Um, and we say, "This is how God has always worked, right?" Uh, this is, I mean, even in the Exodus story, could God have just parted the Red Sea by his own power, yes, but he chooses to have Moses put his staff in the water, right? A very simple, uh, I mean, you know, we revere Moses, but I mean, a man, right? Uh, And a staff. And he's going to use those simple things to, yes, accomplish a great miracle. And that's the same thing we believe about the sacraments, right? That he uses these simple things to do miraculous things. So you you bring up Moses' staff and the crossing of the Red Sea. That's where the author of Hebrews goes in verse 29. And now Moses does recede into the background a little bit. Now it's more the people. So the people, by faith, crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So here we do have a very explicit mention, as we said earlier, of the, the flip side of the coin, the judgment that comes to unbelief. Uh, take us into, as we've said, the main salvific act of God in the Old Testament here. Yeah, and, you know, I think one of the things we have to remember that with God, almost every time we see God saving his people, there is judgment of wickedness at the exact same time. And, of course, that points us forward to the last day, where that is certainly going to be the case again. Uh, In order that nothing impure can enter into heaven, something has to be done with the impure ones, right? And God uh, certainly does that. But here's just this beautiful picture. And again, I like how you say that, you know, we kind of move away from Moses into the people because, I mean, obviously for Moses, it's an act of faith to extend that staff and believe that something is going to happen when he does. But it's equally quite a faithful thing when you see these waters piled up on either side to begin to walk through, right? (laughs) Um, This was not something they had seen. And so, yeah, all the people here... uh, are, are doing this by faith. And, and this is just a good touch point again to remind us that the actual act of salvation is, of course, accomplished solely by God's power, both at the Red Sea and at the cross. And yet that God in his arrangement has arranged that we would receive the benefits of his grace, of his mercy, of his acts uh, by faith, right? That that is how uh, those things would be poured into us. And so uh, just like that happened back at the Red Sea, we too say, right, we are not afraid to talk about uh, our faith receiving these things uh, all the time, knowing that our faith is a gift of God as well. Uh, but but we can speak that way plainly. We can say, by faith, the parents brought their child to the font, right? By faith, the old man went forward to the rail. And there's no trouble there. We're not diminishing who's the one doing the, that salvific act. Uh, we're just saying this is how the people of God receive it, is by faith. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic thing. Now, as the author continues then, he he jumps from the exodus now to the entry. So the exodus from Egypt, the entry into the promised land. He, he skips over the wilderness wandering years, which I suppose makes sense, because those, generally speaking, were not a very faithful time for the <laughs> right. people of, of Israel. So he goes all the way forward to the walls of Jericho. Talk to us about, about any, anything in there, and especially with that, that Jericho event. Yeah, so I think, again, just 
to recognize, right, that in the end, Jericho is taken not by military might, right, but by by faith in in God. Um, uh, this one thing I read said, you know, you can see the whole act of walking around the city as an act of faith, a dramatized prayer for God to act. And I, I love that phrase because it, I mean, we know this, right, that they're being sort of jeered <laughs> um, from the walls of Jericho. But I mean, when we think back on it, why wouldn't you be, right? How are you going to take Jericho? We're going to walk around the city once <laughs> every day and seven times the seventh day. And that's how we're going to take Jericho, right? Anybody listening, and you wonder again, surely there were even people walking that had doubts, right, about this, this plan. Uh, and yet, there we go, by faith, even when God tells us to do something that quite frankly sounds nuts to us, uh, we trust him. Why? Because we've learned that his word is good. We've learned that he's a saving God. And we've learned that even if we can't figure out how he'll do the things he's promised, he still always does them. He brings them to fulfillment. Yeah. And I think the, the mention of the, you know, the starting of the conquest of the promised land just the fact that he chooses that as one of the events is important, just given the overall scope of his letter, because even when they entered into the promised land, they still hadn't yet received the fullness of the promise. That's kind of where this, this chapter is headed. And so I think that the mention of the taking of Jericho serves as just a, a reminder that, yes, the Lord did take them into the promised land, but even in that, he hadn't yet finally fulfilled the promise. That was still to come in Christ. And I think that, especially given the way that sometimes there's some some conversation in the, the wider world and in the within the greater Christian church about things that are happening in that land of Israel, notice that already here, the taking of Jericho was not the final fulfillment of the promise. There was more to it, something different than just the land. Yeah, right. And yeah, the, that, you know, back to that uh, basic promise of Hebrews, right, that they were looking for a better land, right? Yeah. And uh and yeah, so I think you're right there. I mean, we don't want to take away the fact that God gives them this land here. Uh, and again, I think even, um, you know, instructive for us to remember that at the essence of our faith, when we speak about what has God done for us, I always like to say, right, we got to talk about a taking and a giving, right? We we talk about the taking away of our sins, the taking away of death, but then the giving, right, of the Holy Spirit and faith and life. So this is kind of the counterpart to he destroys the wicked, right, in the waters, and then he leads them into the promised land. And here, by taking out that wilderness wandering time, did I say he led them into the promised land? I don't know if I said that wrong. But um, he takes them into the promised land. And by drawing those two so closely together here in Hebrews, we get those two, the taking and the giving placed closer to each other than they even happened historically so that we understand that. But yet you're right. We're coming here to the end of the Old Testament story, right? The author of Hebrews is next going to give us kind of, oh, there's other guys I could have thrown in there, right? Um, But he's kind of at the end of the story. And you're right. He definitely wants us to get, though, that the end of the Old Testament story did not turn out to be the end of God's salvation story, right? He wants yeah. to leave us hanging. He wants us to, to see what is beyond, to see what is invisible, and to trust that God will bring all of that to fulfillment. Yeah. Now, now before he, he gets all the way to the end, though, he does mention one more individual. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, 
because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Remind us about who Rahab is and her example of faith. Yeah, so, I mean, Rahab is there, obviously, inside uh, inside Jericho, and uh, when the when the spies go in, of course, they, um, you know, come into contact with her, and, uh, you know, we can kind of ask here, well, what what is her faith? What does she believe in? Well, initially, she believes that indeed the Israelites are coming and that the city's going to be given over, right? And she's kind of heard this. It almost sounds like, you know, in the the scuttlebutt around town, um, she knows that everyone else has kind of got this fear of the Lord, not in the sense of faith here, but they get what Israel has done and what it seems like they're about to do with their city. And she believes that's going to happen. And she acts then, right, on the basis of that, uh, by basically begging for mercy when they do come into the town. And this is this is granted to her. But we shouldn't miss the unlikely sort of mention of her here. Uh, you know, if you want to get all the things here, you know, uh, again, at least at times, even though we know this isn't true holistically, but people will try to claim, well, the women aren't going to be mentioned. Okay, well, if I give you that at all, she's a woman, right? She's a Gentile. And again, according to her vocation, she's a Gentile that's engaged in daily sin for her very livelihood. And yet God can take one such as that, right, and include them by faith into his people and even here into this, you know, hall of faith, whatever you want to call it here, uh, include her. And of course, in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, she's included as well. So this isn't just a one-time thing. Uh, Rahab here is, is picked out and perhaps I think, right, to remind us of the extent of God's grace and mercy, you know, sort of like when Paul will speak about, you know, him being chief of sinners and yet, um, you know, God using him to kind of be an example of his loving kindness and his mercy. Same thing here with Rahab. She's given to us in that same sense so that we never think that our level of sin, our level of rebellion places us at a place where God's mercy uh, cannot forgive us and, and give to us all the gifts that he wants for us. Yeah, yeah. What a, it's it's a remarkable to see Rahab and others in this chapter mentioned in that very light, to know that, yes, these were sinful people, and yet the Lord brought them into his church, into those who trusted in Christ through his word, forgiving their sins and giving to them righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that comes through faith. Pastor Philip Hoppe is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Colby, Kansas. He's been helping us today to study Hebrews 11, verses 23 to 31. Pastor Hoppy, thanks for being our guest today. Hey, glad to be with you again today. By faith, the people of Israel walked through the Red Sea. By faith, Moses led them. By faith, Rahab received them as her own people. It is this same faith that we share, knowing that even the reproach of Christ is greater than the treasures of this world and the fleeting pleasures of him or the fleeting pleasures of sin. And so we cling to him, we cling to Christ, knowing that his reward, the resurrection of the dead on the last day, awaits us. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Hebrews 11, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.